Well, I am furious. Why are you furious? I had already edited this whole episode, and now I can't find it. It's gone. So I have to start all over. Maybe we should just always have live shows, and then you just can't edit it. There's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) I edited the live show, so. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm invested in us appearing a certain way. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hi! And Jason in DC. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> oh my god, Jason, you had your fist up, and I thought you were doing Michael Power, and I was like, really? Yeah, why <laughs> do you? Are you doing a Black Power <laughs> He was! <laughs> Maybe subconsciously. Unintentionally, maybe. <laughs> it is Black History Month, so Black maybe I was feeling Black it. History Month. Yes, yeah. I am definitely feeling it. How is everybody? Good, actually. Good. Mm-hmm. Trish is drinking again. So yeah, she's good. She's real good. Just a little bit. Can I tell you how productive I am when it rains? Whew, it's been wonderful. It's been raining yep. in LA for like the last three weeks. And I tell you, at no point in time do I look out... And go, oh, I really want to be outside. I hop out of bed and head to my computer and get all my work done. It's great. Can I what's tell you what's the difference there? Is that psychological or you're not strolling it's, around the neighborhood in the sun? Yeah, it's totally psychological. There's like, I'm, I'm so happy to be inside. I'm like tucked away in. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe if I lived in a place with cold weather, I'd be super productive. <laughs> I, you, I have been working from home for the past couple of months. And I'll tell you, the other day I was like, what was the last time I was sick? And I was like, am I like Bruce Willis and Unbreakable? Like, <laughs> I just don't get sick anymore. But you know why? Because I don't freaking see anybody all day. You're quarantined. You are quarantined. <laughs> You're I'm under quarantined. house arrest. I stay in my house. And sometimes I'll be here for like a full two days. That's, that's the secret, America. I was um, going to ask, speaking of quarantine, is it possible to quarantine an entire state? Well, first of all, what are you planning? Second of all, why? Uh, I'm cl- I'm trying to avoid going into Washington State, that place that's getting the measles outbreak. Oh, honey, it's over here too. Is it over there? Darn it. Of course. Hipsters in Brooklyn? <laughs> oh, no. Can I just build a wall. We got to build a wall. <laughs> Keep those sick people out. <laughs> the anti-vax movement... It was real problematic. That woman Goodness should be arrested. Christ. She should not be hosting the mass Singer or River Hill show she's on. She should Is be there arrested. a single person that's... Yeah. Have, was, have we determined that there's like a single person responsible she, for that? What's, what's the woman? The blonde woman? She was dating Jim Carrey. Oh, her. You can't blame her. Oh, yes, I can blame her. What's her name? I mean, she's, she's just a very vocal person. She used to be a, um, she used to be a Playboy bunny. Yeah. Um, Jenny she McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. She leads the anti-vax. I will blame her because you know what? This is the thing about. She's a very prominent voice. She was. She took to the public airwaves and she popularized the now discredited report saying that vaccines cause all sorts of problems. And she put that out in the yeah, airwaves. Yeah, she blamed it for autism, right? Yeah, she said it causes autism, oh, and so that's how it spread like wildfire. Because you know that's how information. Bad information spreads because you know yeah. what? When anyone started to Google vaccinations and autism, her shit came up. And then, you know, it was too late. Once the cat was out of the bag, that people just 
it snuck into our consciousness. I will blame her. Just mm-hmm. like all these Instagram influencers who got sued for the fire festival. If you watch <laughs> documentary, watch it. You know, you have a responsibility when you put that kind of shit out there. You know what? Well, though? she really believed it though. There are lots of shit. people who believe that though. Who gives a shit? You know what's so interesting? It is impossible to debunk those ideas. You can't because in the process of like you end up popularizing right. it. It's just like it's just like the whole like Obama is not an Arab thing. And then yeah. like no matter how many times the more you said he's not, the more people believed he was. <laughs> our our powers of discernment are just not strong enough it's, to deal with that. It's the Elvis conundrum. <laughs> I read this once. It was stated so much better. When you just throw a fact out there, sometimes it the counter fact raises. Mm-hmm. So with Elvis, it's like right. Elvis is dead. Could Elvis be alive? <laughs> and although my first statement already gave the answer to that question because i ask the question has now created its own information sort of structure which people will start to put things on so it's like vaccinations are safe are vaccinations safe and then (laughs) but you know what i had a friend who posted this on facebook and i was like my mind was like, boom, because uh, <laughs> her son is autistic. Mm-hmm. And she'd post something like, you know, all these anti-vaxxers, they would prefer to have a dead child than on- yep. an autistic one. And she just left it at that. And I was like, ooh. I mean, not that not that vaccinations cause autism. Yeah. Not that they do. But like the fact that you believe that, mm-hmm. it, it's just crazy. It's they should they should be arrested. Like I mean, I'm being honest because it's a public health hazard. It is. I don't know how you it deal with it. It puts all though. of us at risk. Yeah, it puts everyone at risk and children. You know. I think that's why I, I thought about it because this um woman was saying that I think she was talking to her daughter and her daughter said, "Mom, I'm not feeling well," and within hours she was dead. Oh my god. It's it's insane, but I don't. I keep, I kept thinking about it. I was like, "Well, quarantine. I mean, what can we do?" It's so to go back and revisit how we did public education around like the polio vaccine or any of those kinds of early public health campaigns because there must have been a tremendous amount of suspicion at that time as well. Yeah, but there was fewer avenues for messaging, right? So like, I'm gonna, I'd have to do the research, but just, I'm just thinking about the way information systems work now than they worked a hundred years ago, right? Mm -hmm. You'd have to deliver information about the polio vaccine and there'd only be a few entities that are powerful and, and has enough money to mm-hmm. really get that message out to people. Any mm-hmm. counter message would have to have a similar system set up. And a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, I can't think of any, any, I can't think of another entity who would fund putting out like counterfacts or, mm-hmm. or even just raising suspicions would be difficult to do on a mass level. Unlike now where it's like, I send a tweet like, Oh, yeah. you know, yeah, Obama's gay. That's the, yeah. Yeah. Get your kids vaccinated. Everybody. Yeah, I was just going to say, get your kids <laughs> vaccinated. <laughs> Moving on. I say we just jump into topics before we first. Sure. It's very late here, people. Go for it's, it. It's early for, for you, Trisha, in California, but the rest of us are barely hanging on. Jason, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about when someone says something or does something that a lot of people find objectionable. Simply calling it out or, God forbid, saying that that person maybe should step down or should not get elected or confirmed or whatever the situation might be, 
it's so quick that the conversation goes beyond whether that act or statement was objectionable or whether, you know, that person is the best fit for a job. It becomes an immediate, is this person terrible? What does this person deserve in life? That kind of thing. And so, you know, the, the most recent example of this that I I've seen is, you know, we have this stuff going on in Virginia, which maybe we'll talk more about later, but there are, you know, people saying that, Oh, governor Northam should resign. He, you know, had this problem in his past. He wore blackface and didn't respond to it very well, et cetera. And then there's so much talk about, but what about all the good he's done? And what, you know, does he really deserve that? And it just, it becomes so personal so quickly. And to me, it's not a question of, is he a terrible person or even is he a racist at heart? It's a question of, do you want as the leader of the state, someone who has done this? And I felt that way about like, we we talked about the Kavanaugh situation and it became about, well, is he really this terrible person? Did he do these terrible things? Like, I mean, if you recall, my position was the way he was behaving in response to the allegation, even if we don't determine whether that, you know, he's guilty of what was alleged to me, I didn't want him on the Supreme court. And again, it's not, I don't, I don't know him. I'm not saying he's the devil, but it became this like, Oh, what, you know, he deserves this or, you know, does he deserve this? And it it just gets so personal and it becomes the last example I'll give, which I think one of you sent me the article or an article about was when Tom Brokaw made this comment um, about Hispanic people in this country and you had some people say, well, that was racist. He was saying that they needed to um, assimilate more and teach their kids to speak English more. And some people said, well, you know, that was a racist thing to say. And then you had these people come out and say, Tom Brokaw could not say something racist because he's a great guy. And it's like, no, what? what? That's like saying like, oh, that's a healthy person. They can't vomit. It couldn't have been them who vomited. Like, that's ridiculous. Anyone can say something racist. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's not saying like, well, that erases everything good that he's done. We should be able to have a conversation about whether what someone did was wrong and how we should respond to it without it being like, oh, I like this person. So God forbid you can't say anything negative about anything they've ever done. Is it possible for us to have conversations where we think critically about things that people have said or done, and even talk about whether they're the best person for a particular job that they're in or that they're up for without it becoming a referendum on whether this person is a terrible person or not. Trisha, ideas? Can I relate it to when we say that we want to have beer with the president? I mean, at its core, is it about the fact that we no longer think about sort of qualifications? We do think about qualifications, but what you're highlighting is that there's something else that comes in that can be more powerful, right? Which is likability, right? And optics. It's a, it's a PR thing. What you're bringing up is um, part of what Jason's saying. I yeah. mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that this is where you were going with it. I thought you were coming at it from a different angle. So this is like, great. Like, really, now I've really got to wake up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sober up, points. Trisha. We have a I, conversation. I, I, yeah, Trisha, sober up. On the flip side, though, Chris, yeah, can you make a distinction between someone doing a good job, even if you don't care for them? Because I think that might be one of the that might be the challenge for people. Well, let me let me bring you all back mm-hmm. to a conversation we had three years ago. Oh dear! All yes, right. it was first season, but if you remember. 
a couple of years ago, there was a food critic. Yes, I remember a food critic. It was who, a podcast. It was on the podcast. Okay. There was a food critic who had made some racist statements. And I think he was on the Food Network, if that's a thing, I'm guessing. Yikes, I don't remember this. Wow, yeah. I'm getting old. It was a long time ago. Um, and he lost his job. And there was a lot of consternation at the time, like, hey, um, should he have lost his job? And Jason, you had made the point that if he's just reporting on food and critiquing food and that and he's not in a position to deny anyone anything or bar or prohibit someone from getting anything, who the fuck cares what he thinks? Because like you always say, you care more about actions. And if he's not an empowered person to block access, then it doesn't matter what he believes. It only matters what he does. Okay, so let's bring that to this current conversation. If the governor of a pretty diverse state appears in blackface, or rather uses the excuse that he didn't appear in blackface because when he was previously in blackface, (laughs) it was really hard to take off. You know, he is very much in a position to bar and prohibit and give access to certain people. So what I'm getting to is that, is he qualified to be governor? I don't know. But what I do know is that if these are his beliefs, if these are the things that he thinks is okay, then he's in the wrong position for someone who believes those things. See, this is the thing. And I think, Jason, this is what this might also get at your question. It's signaling, right? I find it really difficult to go down these roads because I feel like what we have are these shortcut assumptions about who a person is based on like one or two discrete actions. Now, if it's a pattern, you might be able to say, oh, well, I think because we kind of don't know how to make the connection between someone's actions and their intent and then how that has played out over time, we land on this space of of lobbying about their uh, or arguing about their goodness or their badness, because that's an easier place to land. Because I think what it's really revealing is that people don't actually know how to evaluate one's intentions and how those intentions are playing out in the, in our, in your example, in the political space, like appearing in blackface, what does that suggest about your character? What does that suggest about you? What are we supposed to believe about your assumptions about black people? And then how are we then supposed to extrapolate based on those assumptions that you have therefore probably failed to deliver good governorship or leadership in spaces that involve Black people or issues that involve Black people? That feels super complicated. So I think we land at like, oh, is he good or is he bad? And then if we can determine his or her goodness, we can sort of, we can go there. Yeah, I, I mean, what you're saying is probably right. I think what frustrates me is that I'm arguing, I don't think we should, I won't say should. I'm not saying that it's productive or better to go down a complicated road of who is this person? What does he really believe? I'm actually arguing for the opposite, which is simply this person did this thing or said this thing. Do I want them in the position they're in? And me personally, I don't live in Virginia, but if I did, I wouldn't want my governor to have have done that. It's that simple. I don't need to figure out what does he really believe? Has he changed? It's just there are certain things that, you know, if I'm electing someone or supporting someone to represent me, there are certain things that I just don't want to be in someone's past if they're representing me. 
But then there's the counterpoint, right? And we're about to have another norms conversation. I feel like in the past two years, like this podcast yep. is about race, media, culture, politics, and norms. Oh, that you got to add another thing. Oh. But, the, the counterpoint to that, Jason, is that you would not be comfortable with a governor who's been blackface. Or you could be like, whatever, that bitch who was on Good Morning America was like, blackface. It was just fun back in my day. And her day was the early 80s. So <laughs> there are people who it's not a big deal. And at this point, they're like, well, this doesn't impact my gut, like the ability of this person to govern me at all. So what it comes down to is like, what are the norms that we can agree on? And if we're focusing in on the Virginia governor, is this one like blackface? Is this something that is that the hill that we're willing to die on as an electorate? I think that's a very fair question. And I'm, I'm, I think what you're framing, that's a conversation I think is worth having and reasonable people can disagree about where the line is or what should be a kind of terminable offense, that kind of thing. But I find so often that the conversation is going to, but he's a good person. And that's so you're argument. saying that people use that as a way to excuse behavior that that has cropped up. I think that's true. And, and I think it's both sides of an argument can get into this where people draw really strong conclusions based on something on, on in both directions. You know, oh, that person's a total racist and a white supremacist. And, you know, they should be out because of that. And then the other side, they know they're a really good person. And, and again, I just think the conversation goes somewhere where it's just not, maybe it is a norm thing. It's just, to me, it's, it's really not the important, those are not the important questions. I also think, by the way, they're not really solvable, right? Like I can't really know what you believe, but I can know what you've said and what you've done do. and whether I want you representing me. I will say like, this reminds me of a topic that we scrapped to not talk about, but it, it, it intersects here. When I brought up the drama surrounding Liam Neeson, you know, and the fact that he confessed in an interview that 40 years ago, he wanted to, after his sister was raped, he roamed his neighborhood, hoping to beat just any random black person who looked at him the wrong way to death. And, you know, immediately everyone's like, well, he's a giant racist. And then everyone's like, no, he's not. He can't be a racist. Da, 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 da. And the idea that he, like you said, he can't be a racist. He's a good person. And it's not clear what any of these words mean because we don't define our terms. Right. I find these kinds of conversations to be particularly boring isn't the word, but it's more exhausting, right? Because like the governor of Virginia, Liam Neeson, any of these men, at the end of the day, call them what you want. Like, is Liam Neeson a racist? I don't know. Is Governor Northam a racist? I don't know. But what I do know is that we have trouble identifying what racism is, but we know that no one's a racist. And I feel like... <laughs> I feel like that's weird to me. There are no racists anywhere, yet black men are being killed in the streets. You know, black women aren't getting the care that they need in hospitals, yet somehow no one is a racist. So even then, let's, so, let's zone in on that. Black women have consistently reported that they do not get the care that they need from doctors and hospitals. Here is a doctor <laughs> appearing in blackface next to a guy dressed up as the KKK Right. And he's not a racist, but black women are dying. What What's happening here? You know what I mean? Right. So, but, then, but then let's talk about that. What is the disconnect between, between those acts for people? I think racism has been purposefully obfuscated. Like, 
what racism is, is purposefully obfuscated. And instead we focus in on who's a racist and who's not a racist. We have held up racist as like a terrible slur, right? But racism is a thing that may or may not exist. Take what's his name? That representative, Steve King, is that his name? Yeah. He came out as a a proud white supremacist, but try calling him a racist. I'm not a racist. I just think that white people are better than everyone else. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you cleared that up. Well, I think it's just a clever technique, right? Because, But I think it's also maybe a little bit related to Jason's own initial point when he was talking about goodness and badness. I think the goodness and badness is where people have gotten locked, locked in. But what it's do like, those terms even mean? Well, but listen, I don't think those things matter. But for a lot of people, I think they do. And so, because I think what people want to be able to say is that I can be a good person and do bad things. And actually, in terms of even criminal justice reform, right, people say you are more than the worst thing you've ever done. Okay, but wait, before we go too far down this road, let's refocus on Jason's question, right? Good people can do bad things, whatever, whatever. The real question is, do we want the good people, let's assume the good people who do bad things to be our public servants. That's right. the question. That I think it's really facile to go down that road because at the core of it, you're making an assumption about who a public servant is. And no, I disagree. I disagree. No, no well, I think- Let her finish. Of, Where are you going with I, that? Okay, I, I think part of, no, it's okay. I think part of the public servant descriptor involves a kind of value such as goodness. And so when someone says, I believe this person is good, what they're trying to tell you is I think this person is inherently good, but has done a bad thing and should therefore not be disregarded or tossed aside based on the bad thing. But you're like, screw that. You did a bad thing. We have to focus on the things you did. I hear you. Let me, I mean, just, I want to hearken back <laughs> to mm-hmm. something we talked about in another episode, which I think is still relevant. So we've been talking about public servants, but I think you can definitely take this, this kind of question into like pop culture, for instance. So we had conversations about like Louis CK, right? And so yeah. some people saying we should not be paying to see him. He should not be performing. And other people saying, well, he has suffered enough and you know, no, that's, that's not appropriate. Like we should, we should support him. And my thing is like, look, me personally, I'm not spending my time or my money on him. And again, I don't know enough to say like good person, bad person, whatever. He's clearly done some terrible things. And and with all the guys we're talking about, and I, this is, I think an undercurrent too, is like, these people are going to be fine, right? Like, it's not, it's not like we're saying, do you send them to the electric chair or do you like, let them be president or, or give them a bunch of money? Like, those are not the choices. And that was what frustrated me with Brett Kavanaugh. Cause it's not, it wasn't like, does he go to prison or does he not get on, you know, or does he go to the Supreme court? It was like, does he go to the Supreme court or not? Like, that's, like to me, I, I can sleep fine at night someone not getting to become a Supreme court justice. It happens all the time for much lesser things. I'll sleep fine at night that Louis CK is like enjoying his money. He's got plenty of it. And like, I don't need to give him any more. It's a little bit about um, zero tolerance. When the whole thing broke in Virginia, there was a sense that it's gotta be zero tolerance all the way, zero tolerance. And then the screen widened and there were plenty of black faces. And everybody's like, oh dear, what are we going to do here? <laughs> you know, you had a room filled with basically, because if we're right. going to go down this road, you had you now have a room filled with 
really just horrible people because that's the blackface equals horrible people. Now you widen the screen cam, you don't have anyone. By the time well, you finish maybe this whole we thing, need oh, to confront that then. Maybe yeah, that's what we what need I'm, to confront. This is what I'm saying. I've been saying to people, and obviously lots of people have been saying this for many, many years. But I think part of this is that we don't have a, we have never had a reconciliation with all of the things that came out of slavery and the disenfranchisement of Black people. If you had had a space to have this conversation, then Blackface would inevitably have come up and we would have known that there will be segments of the population who would have engaged in Blackface. Mm. And we'd be able to place it in context, right? Because, for example, in other places where they do a truth and reconciliation, right, you come in with full confession of the bad things that you have done. Oh, well, America's not good at that. I know, but it's not surprising then, right? If your family was alive during a particular time, like during a particular time when there was genocide and you had a truth and reconciliation council, everyone is going to look around and know that they were guilty in some way, right? Because you've you've already, you've sort of resolved that publicly, Mm -hmm. but we've never resolved our own abiding guilt, And so every time, every single one of these acts becomes singular. And it's like, we have to have an outrageous sort of like, oh my God, this is so horrible. But if we were to say to ourselves, between between like the 1600s up to now, there will be some damn questionable things. Mm -hmm. And these are the categories and these are the ways that it's going to play out. See, and I, I welcome that examination of the culture. I don't give a shit. I honestly don't give a shit if Liam Neeson, Governor Northam, I don't give a shit if these men are racists or not. I, only, I really I don't, don't either. I can't. I even. really just care what they do. And I want the conversation to be open, right? About I want that. I want a space to be opened up. The Liam Neeson confession, I was just I was disappointed but not surprised which way the conversation went. Cause like all the pieces and stuff are just about Liam Neeson's actions and, and ideas right? As far as they concern Liam Neeson. But I would prefer the conversation to be brought up. Like, you know, again, like understand that in a racialized society, in a racist society, Liam Neeson decided that he was just going to go out and just the first black person he met, he was just going to beat up, which is not a decision he would have made if an Italian man raped his sister or an Irish man that's not the kind of generalization that he would do. So there was an entire populace of people that were put at danger. And I would like to discuss that. I'd like to discuss that kind of mindset and how people with that mindset end up in law enforcement and how those people end up killing black people and how that, how that system exists. I don't give a fuck what Liam Neeson does. You know, who cares if he's a racist? Who cares if the government, the governor of Virginia is a racist? Let's talk about the fact, like I said earlier, black women can't get medical care because every motherfucker in the goddamn medical school yearbook is in a KKK robe. Like that's, that's a problem. <laughs> those, ideas, those ideas hang together. Those yeah. ideas hang together. But I mean, but it's but we focus it on, on the individuals like governor, North, but he's a good guy. He did this, that, and the other. I don't give a shit. But you know like, what though? But it also is related to, I think I keep seeing all the linkages, but think about how much this is linked to the way we cover kids who kill or kids who go down this particularly dark world road where they embrace really violent and nihilistic ideas. Mm -hmm. And we think about it as a phase they're going through. 
Like there has to be a phase where they're going to just really hate people. Um, it's like a thing that we just sort of say and we more supposed to accept it. It's Those just rowdy like, teenagers always plotting murders. Always plotting, but because in some ways, I mean, in some ways, that's kind of the way that people approached the Northam thing and also the Nees- the Neeson thing, which is why people wanted to celebrate him, saying that he had admitted a truth, which I think is really interesting, right? Because they could have actually said, "Listen, he has admitted a truth." because that is what a racist society would encourage you to think. But that's not where they went with it. They're like, he has admitted a truth, and who among us has not had that thought? Wink, wink. And then they wanted to soothe him, instead of actually using it as a way to deconstruct how he led to that space and why it was so comfortable for him to even go down that road. They then offered a singular method of kind of um of reaction which is to focus only on him so i think that's in, in in jason's way it's similar to trying to decide goodness we want it to just be about the individual right i mean really what you could say is like you could look at northam and you could say to yourself well how did how did him him wearing blackface mean that he approached his patients and me can we can we like can we look at that can we think about that can we think through what that might have done in terms of the work that he delivered to people, the services that he delivered. And actually, I think I've read some some work that said it. What he wasn't actually a, a good doctor, right? So, <laughs> but I mean, listen, you know, good as one defines it, right? But I think that that's what that means. Is like you can be. I feel like you can sort of deconstruct people's actions later. And, and as far as and I'm that's concerned, that's what I want to focus on. That's yeah. That's the only worthwhile conversation. You know what? You know what conversation I want to have? The fact that this medical school yearbook, which was published by the school, I the know. fact that the fact that they saw these pictures yeah. and thought it fit neatly into their ethos, which makes me ask, what are you teaching in your classrooms? Right. <laughs> so there's an entire class of doctors out there who were taught by people who thought this would be a good idea. That's a system that needs to be looked at. Again, I don't give a fuck what the what the that individual but, governor thinks. It doesn't yeah. matter. But it's related, right? It's related to it's related, it's related to like, insofar as that he came out of a of a group of people who may yeah. have the same ideas, and those that group of people is very influential, and they're able to create systems. That and, I'm I'm always interested in systems and decide things about us, right? Because exactly. one of the things that we know is that the medical profession has consistently decided that we can withstand pain. Mm-hmm. We are, um, we don't have the same um, pain receptors as they mm-hmm. do. Um, we don't care for our children as much as they do. Mm-hmm. We are susceptible to addiction. You know, all of these kinds of weird assumptions yeah. and, and are that, then that... embedded in the teaching. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of scary because as you look at that, you start thinking to yourself, what kind of service could this person have delivered to a young vulnerable? See, and all of this thinking that we're doing, that's just to go full circle and wrap this up, this is why we are oversensitized to the word racist, but undersensitized to the word racism. Because when you discuss racism, then it's not about individual culpability. It's about the culpability of systems. And that's something that we don't want to examine because we all don't want to be um, seen as culpable or complicit. But we are. But we all are all complicit. Yeah. We are so all complicit, really. It's much easier to decide that, oh, Governor Northam, he's a good guy or a bad guy, and evaluate him as an N of one. Right. That's exactly which, is, right. which was hilarious because then they couldn't even find a line of secession without <laughs> – I know without the next guy was like sexually assaulted women. The guy after that, he's like, I, I also do blackface, you know? 
<laughs> I mean, and it's so interesting, right? Because in that in that very moment, someone should have looked around and said, "Could could this be systemic? Could this be something about the people we'll that never have get been there. able to make it make their way through these systems?" <laughs> I don't want to say we'll never get there, but like our knee jerk isn't to go there. No, well, it's, it's like not. we're always saying on this podcast is that the simple answer. Complication is difficult. Well, I mean, but then you have to think about it. Like, how do you repair that? It's so much easier to get rid of this one guy than to try to think through how are you going to go, go to the school, go to the medical school, figure out what they're teaching. I mean, I that's what, a- I'm sick of like, oh, this would be too hard. This will be too hard. Well, we I mean, can decide what's too hard. There are several times in American history alone where we've radically changed the society, like radically changed what people have access to. You know, I think about the New Deal. Go back and look at the New Deal and all the stuff, right? All the ways that America changed from one year to six years later. And it's incredible what we were able to withstand. And the country didn't shake apart. There's all sorts of things that we can completely dismantle and put back together. We just don't want to. We don't have the will. Well, no, it depends, though. It's the presumptions there, because I think one of the things that we when we talk about the New Deal, even in particular, we talk about how we had to reframe our thinking about individual Americans mm-hmm. and it and um, and the, the government's responsible responsibility to those individuals. There had to be a sort of a, a subtle shift in that way. I was really trying to shift the, the, the landscape around the, the Northam thing and whether we could have arrived at, a, at an assumption that it is systems that needed to change mm. and what that, what that shift might look like. Because I think that's the only way you get away from the good guy, bad guy thing, Jason. I think saying that you want to get someone who represents you that behaves a certain way, it gets you there. But I don't think that goes enough. I don't think it goes far enough. Well, I agree with both of you. I mean, you, you two both took this to a different place, which I think is great, which is what is the larger conversation we should be having beyond either whether this person should stay in office or whether they're a good person? Like what's the really important conversation to have, which is what is at root? What is, as you said, systemic uh, that's causing this behavior? I feel like we hear more and more. Well, every Virginia yearbook for a very long time had blackface. And it's like, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's not just say, oh, <laughs> what maybe does it's not that, that bad. mean? Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree with that. And, but you're right. And, you know, this is actually reminding me of the conversation we had about serial killers because, you know, the, the challenge when you say, well, is this systemic? The reason no one wants to talk about that is because then all of a sudden we're all culpable, right? And it's much more comfortable to talk about is that person a villain or not? Then, you know, have we all, are we all contributing to and subject to a really problematic, oppressive system like that? That gets our hands dirty, uh, blood on our fingers, right? And we don't. Nobody wants that. Okay, cool. Let's move on. We spent a long time talking about that, so let's do a mini topic. I actually wanted to talk about Black History Month a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a mini topic, but I just kind of have some opinions I want to express. One, this is Black History Month, and I feel like every day that I've woken up, there has been some terrible news story. <laughs> that just targeting black people recently read that some students in high school are were passing around like tickets that look like Willy Wonka's golden tickets but instead of access to a chocolate factory it is um it's their Wonka golden pass to say the n-word 
I. I mean, it's amazing how badly some white people want to say the N word. It's like, it's just amazing. You know what I say? Say it. Say it. Free speech does not does not exit you out of consequences. So feel free. <laughs> I dare honestly, you. Honestly, say it. No, if you told them to say it, it takes the sting away. The reason why it bites people up is yeah. you said, "Don't do it. Do not do yeah. it." I'm like, I'm like, I'm always like, you know what? Feel free. <laughs> feel free. Try it. Um. My point is, is that Black History Month, which I have opinions about, we'll get to later, but I feel like it's so triggering to some white people that it actually ramps up anti-Black sentiment, at least lately. I think in the last, like, 10 years, perhaps. So I I don't know. I don't know if you all have opinions about it. I don't really have a question. I just wanted to share that. Like, I have been waking up every day completely triggered by the news. It's like from the moment I wake up, I have a Google alert about some months, like monstrous thing that's happening to black people or black populations in America. And I'm like, oh God. I have to admit to maybe a bit, maybe being naive. And so what is that? What is that thing that happens when you've moved? I think what's, what's happened is we've moved the Overton window because there was a period in time when my only experience of black history month were, McDonald's doing a special Martin Luther King commercial, <laughs> encouraging you to eat Martin Luther- to eat burgers while there was like a candle blowing as Martin Luther King gave speeches. Um, there was like a commercialization of Black History Month. That was that. But I remember a couple of years ago at the sort of like when social media was sort of um, hit- hitting its peak, and you started seeing that Black History Month represented a time for people to sort of wild out on social media and say, this is actually Coon Day, or this is, like, I hadn't realized that there were people who were, like, experiencing that month as a kind of opposite day. With social media, what's happened is that we've we've given those people the, the space. And now it feels like they're everywhere, right? We've watched, because they, instead, they were fringe in my mind before. But now they're kind of taking a little bit of center stage. And I think that's why when you wake up, you feel like you're being assaulted daily. But also remember, these things work well when you are being outraged. And so I feel like that is why you're also feeling under assault is because they have chosen the storyline of the morning that's going to be outraging you. And they're going to like, and it just, and it runs through the media cycle. It really does. And I'm like, I'm looking around going, where's that nice commercial celebrating Black History Month? Have you noticed that? There's none. There used to be tons. That used to be just a part of the marketing thing. Like, you know how, like, for um, Pride Month, you get all those ads? Oh, yeah. I have not seen any of that for Black History Month. Or maybe, am I just not paying attention? Well, I, you know, I this is another moment hearing the two of you where I'm grateful that I'm not on social media because <laughs> you know, I'd like to see some data. You certainly may be right that there's an uptick right now because it's black history month. I've not sensed it at all. Uh, but again, I'm not, I'm That's not good. on social media, which could go either way. It could be that because I'm not plugged in, I'm ignorant right now of what's going on. Or it could be that, you know, you're being misinformed. I think similar to what, what Trisha suggesting, which is like, social media is kind of amping up certain things because it's black history month, but on the ground, there's not really a difference. I, I don't know the answer. 
my sense is on the ground there isn't as much. I really do. Like I spent, I, I took a, I took two days and I did, I wasn't able to be on social media and I didn't experience things being necessarily that different. I think in a mediated culture where outrage and clicks and sort of the speed at which something can go through the cycle, I think what you're going to end up with is an overabundance of reactionary news. And I imagine that's the, correct. The, you know what I mean? And the steady news is Black History Month. When Women's History Month comes around, I guarantee you that we're going to get these sort of bizarre anti-messages or negative messages because it's the only way for you to stand out. It, you've got to offer a contrast and the contrast is just some horrible thing. I yeah, just So it's, it's not so much about Black History Month, it's just yet again about media and the, what media needs to eat in order to survive. And it has to be outrageous. <laughs> I feel like a little bit, right? I feel like it's a little bit of that. Like, it has know? to eat our outrage. So, like, you're right. Women's History Month. It's going to be like, it's going to be headline after headline about powerful women and how terrible they are. Or, or you like a, a referendum on Me Too. Or, or it's going to be. <laughs> or should uh, we even have Women's History Month now that we're going to? I'm going to make a Congress. I'm going to make a bold prediction, what? right? Sometime in Women's History Month, there's going to be at least one story about um, a false rape, rape accusation. At least one. Probably. Probably. Because yeah, it'll be blown up. Right. And just be, because like you said, I, I agree. You know, I'm just feeling triggered because it's Black History Month, but that's what media is designed to do. Because here we are talking about it. I will well, say, it's, though. It's also decentering, right? Yeah. Black History Month decenters supposedly all the other months. <laughs> which, which you know, I join Morgan Freeman in the sense that it's Black it's History Month. History. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need a Black History Month. I mean, it was helpful. There would not, there would not be a country without Black people. And let me tell you something. It's kind of like the 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 um, conversation we had two weeks ago about public and private education. In putting Black History Month into its own thing, mm-hmm. it's kind of like already just taking as a given that the other 11 months are some different kind of history, right? right? And it's like, no, 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 no. We built the entire country and the parts that we didn't build, Asian Americans did. That's American history. And it should be woven into the entire history and not presented as a a set aside. It's not a set aside. It's very difficult though. Integrated history. Well, right. Picture. Listen, I mean, that, that's the problem. Like if black history hadn't been excised from American history, we wouldn't need the month. But it's so it's so often that American history gets taught and talked about in ways that just gloss over, you know, enormous, important parts of it, which happen to be black history. But given the giving the the excised month is 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 not only acknowledging and recognizing that it's been ignored this whole time, but accepting it. It's accepting the fact that, okay, well, you're right. We have been ignoring it. So you have 28 days to get all these <laughs> stories about all your heroes out. No. Yeah, it is the shortest be... month too, isn't it? That hello. Is like... Hello. Stop. Hello. I said that. But you, I... can, you can have a month and guess what? It's going to be the shortest month. Yeah. 
every four years we give you an extra day. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, Feels like a sharecropper <laughs> dynamic, right? <laughs> just we'll pay you for your crops, but you're going to get the smallest amount we could possibly pay. Yeah, I, I advocate for a complete overhaul in the way that we talk about history in general, and that it's oh, not. Well, you know, we're advocating for overhaul every ten minutes. I don't know what you want. I don't. Know I want you basically full want the whole thing revolution. <laughs> Just remember, the full revolution may result in you living in a less nice apartment. That's always possible. (laughs) And I've I've always said this. And, uh, you know, when rubber hits the road, we'll see. But, like, I live my life every day looking around this apartment, all the things that I have. And I am every day I make myself aware that hundreds of thousands of people have to suffer for me to live like this. And in my mind, I know that that bill is going to come due one day. You know, I know so many people are suffering. So when that day actually comes, I'm not saying I'm going to be like hallelujah about it, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, I fully expect it to come down the pike. You're going to have a sense of inevitability. You're going to be I like, do. You know, like I know that the small children built this computer that I'm using and they lost fingers and they're blind now and they got two cents a day. I know that. Uh, right. And, yeah. when, and when it comes down the pike, it's going to suck. And yep, I don't want to pitchfork through my chest, but that's what revolution looks like. And I've lived a couple of decades high on the hog. I'm okay. I'm okay. What a horrible solution. (laughs) Well, I don't know. With this kind of thing, I'm not sure if I want to see what Pride Month looks like for you, for folks. It's going to be whatever. (laughs) My feelings about Pride Month have been well documented on this podcast. (laughs) You know, it's going to be every commercial enterprise talking about we're super gay suddenly give us your money i mean that's what everything <laughs> give us your money Citibank will be like we're gay give us your money Whatever. although i mean i will say though that i think um black history month was played really better when i was in school what does oh, black history month look like as an adult black history month is my opportunity to try and learn something new about uh, african or african-american history like I said last time, like I, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about the Rwandan genocide. I'm always so very embarrassed by you my lack of knowledge about Africa, mm-hmm. and especially recent history. This shit happened in my lifetime, and yeah. I have the vaguest third grade understanding of what happened there. And I think when you actually look into it and you look at the ways that the European powers and America were culpable in destabilizing everyone. Yeah. You know, um, and pushing everyone into a corner. And then when they came out like swinging tooth and nail, they were all the powers like, whoa, well, <laughs> wow, Africa's a mess. You know? <laughs> that's how you experience Black History Month? I do. I, I, I really try and educate myself because like there, there's so much history that has been lost and that we just don't discuss. You know, the fact that people still think Africa is a country is in Sarah that, Palin. People like, want her to be president. Let that be a testament. Well, you know what? At this point, I would have preferred Sarah Palin as president. I said it, America, and I mean it. Jason, you have kids. Do you feel like you're seeing a like? Do you feel like that's where you live during February? Actually, tonight was at my kid's school for a Black History Month like showcase, which was great. So I, I'm actually sitting here. I have kind of a positive glow right now about Black History Month, and you turn tearing it to shreds. <laughs> Sorry we couldn't perform Black History Month for you, Jason. <laughs> but do you see? It, I'm telling you, it was. It, but see, it's kids-based. It's much more powerful at the kids' level. The adult oh. level, not so much. Not powerful enough that we can't create better adults. 
You know what? That's true, though. I mean, I see that in so there are so many examples of that. Of we do so much to teach kids to be like nice and like kind, and and yet as adults, like we don't we don't act like that, and our kids don't grow up to be like that. So clearly, we're not doing something right. Bad parenting one hundred and one, Jason. Yeah. Well. Why was Jason indicted in your sentence? Just <laughs> yeah. when... well, he's, he's a parent. Thanks for being such a downer about Black History Month. Chris. Sorry. Well, let's let's turn it up. Let's uh, go to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Why don't you go first, Trish? Um, so I've been reading this book called Platform Capitalism. A nice, quick read, by the way. Oof. It's actually 130 pages, but it's so tiny that I was able to get through it in like two hours. Why am I reading Platform Capitalism Capitalism by Nick Cernasek, I think. How do you pronounce it when it's just S-R-N? There's no no vowels there. You got to say it really hard and fast, though. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why I think this book is fascinating is that the main, the author's main point is that he believes that the thing that we mine for, just like we used to mine for oil, what we now currently mine for is data. Mm-hmm. And that every new business model is built on the creation of platforms to help businesses access your data. When we talk about how internet technologies need to evolve and how they need to behave, we have to understand how they generate revenue. And once we understand how they generate revenue, we can begin to sort of see a path for them. So a perfect example, Facebook. Facebook generates revenue by getting to know as much about you as possible so that it can present profiles to its advertisers because Facebook is one of the few places that make a ton of money basically on advertising. 85% of their money apparently comes from advertising, if not more. Whereas something else, um, whereas something like Amazon services is not that. If you think that you're going to be able to battle Facebook around privacy, you're not because their job is to get as much data as uh, about you as possible. That's a great point. So to, you know, so the question is, how does someone generate revenue in their business model? And that tells you what the um, tension points are going to be. And so it's really, it's, um, it's really a fantastic kind of overview of all the different technological companies and the different types of platforms that there are, because they all aren't the same platform. That's interesting. It's, cool. Cool. Yeah. Jason? I would like to recommend two things that I, I thought about while we were having our conversation. Mm-hmm. They're both old, so I'll just say that at the outset. I mean, this is about your speed. I think we've already figured this out about you. Yeah. So one is I'd like to recommend the Dhammapada by the Buddha. And there's a line in there. It's all good, but there's this one line, offend not in thought, word, or deed. Wow, I think we'd be happier and more peaceful if we all followed that. And the other is a book called The Four Agreements. I was just thinking, these four agreements are be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. And I just have been thinking about those as we've been talking, because again, I think we'd be so much happier and more peaceful as a society and a world if we actually did those things. I've always seen the, the, that book on the shelf. It's really good. Very popular. 
I, I really like it. I mean, if you, if you like, which I do, I have to admit kind of the new agey <laughs> spiritual, and I don't mean to denigrate it because I think it's got some really good stuff, but I like those kinds of books. If you don't, you might not like it. Well, thanks for the alert. I won't. <laughs> yeah. It's teasing. Um, my recommendation is to follow up on something that I talked about on the last episode is that rent live on Fox was such a shit show that me and a couple of friends got together to watch Rent filmed live on Broadway, which uh, back in 2008, the final performance of, of Rent on Broadway, they filmed it and they put it on a DVD and you can watch it. And now when you watch it, there's like all these like Renee Elise Goldberry played Mimi. She, you know, originated the role in Hamilton as one of the Skylar sisters and like Will oh, Chase really? is in it and Eden Espinosa, who was Alphaba in Wicked. And it was really, really really good and i remember when you brought me to see rent trisha and i didn't want to see it uh but i was having a really hard time in my life and you were like just come see rent just come see Rent." and i we went to go see it and it changed my life it really did like the messages like it hit me in right just the right spot just the right time and and watching it with friends you know we were crying the whole time and it was just it's just wonderful to think about your life as the people who love you and the people you love and the people you touch and the people who touch you. And uh, it was a great palate cleanser after the shit show that was (laughs) (laughs) rent live on Fox. So I would recommend it. I mean, I think you can buy it on Hulu or Netflix. It's definitely out there on the internet rent Rent film live on Broadway 2008. If you've never seen rent and you saw rent live, like please watch this version. (laughs) Because it's way better. Um, and that's it. That's all she wrote, people. That was our episode. It sounds better better than the movie, too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not, the so movie, Not so good. The movie wasn't great. You know, they're coming out with a Wicked movie, by the way. Oh, oh really? Yeah. and they. Uh, that's, that's more visual. So I think that'll work. You know, it's funny because I remember reading that they were like not going to make the movie until Wicked stopped making money on Broadway. That is one show that is consistently 99% full every single night. Like people Really? Are, yes. Yes, 99% full every single night. And which is astounding. Think of how rich those people are. Like my you god. Think? I mean, and now they're doing a movie? Shit. And talk about something that got better as a transition from media. The book was okay. <laughs> the book was <laughs> He wrote an okay book and he's just sitting back making weekly checks off his thing. And now there's a movie coming out. That's the way to do it. Like, damn, damn it, damn it. I mean, what's her name? Uh, J.K. Rowling. She had to write a good book. This guy just had to write an okay book. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. All right, everyone. So go out there and, and write your mediocre novel. I mean, hell, it worked for um what's that what's that SM Bible that turned into three movies? What was that? Fifty Shades 50 of Grey. Yeah. yeah. Everyone go out there write we need to write a mediocre novel, man. Look at, look at us slaving away trying to do our best. We should be doing our middle list. Listen, I work hard. I work hard. You can work a lot less hard, is what I'm saying. That's my message for tonight, everyone. Underachieve. And on that note, (laughs) bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.